This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. G'day, thanks for taking the time to listen wherever you may be. My guest this week is Melbourne-based firefighter Donna Wheatley. Donna is a senior station officer with the Metropolitan Fire Brigade. Uh, Donna and I sat down and we talked about all sorts of things. We talked about starting out as a firefighter, the dangers they face on the job, and the importance of diversity in the organisation. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Donna Wheatley, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Thanks for coming down to the office here. We had a bit of an issue at home. We're going to do it at my place, but then the leaf blower kicked off outside, which was very inconvenient, but we're, we're off. We're it's away. very familiar. I'm always up to plan B once I'm into action, so <laughs> yeah, good, yeah. plan C even. <laughs> yeah, you probably could have got us out of another situation there if we yeah. had, had any more uh, issues. Uh, when did you first join the... Metropolitan Fire Brigade, or MFB, as yes, it's called. Yes, the MFB, sure. yeah. we can refer to it. Yeah. Uh, so I first worked for them in 1998 in an administrative role, yeah. which is where I found out that women were allowed to be firefighters. <laughs> yeah, right. And so I joined the operational ranks finally in 2003. So I've been a firefighter on trucks doing firefighting since then. Right. So you started out just in an in a admin role. Uh, when you joined, like, is there a much... Uh, you know, is there any stigma attached to a female joining the, the fire brigade or was there uh, – were you sort of welcome with open arms? Look, I think it's a – so stigma is a strong word. There's definitely lots of complex reflections right. on gender in a yeah. male-dominated industry, which mm. there's no question it is and mm. no question that it was when I decided to join. Yeah. Um, so a real minority of women in operational roles. So I guess that attracts some attention and yes. some people have – their views on that. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess if you start looking at views, you have to think about individuals' views and right. they are diverse. Some people are mm. major supporters and some people have reservations. Yes, yeah. And what was it about the MFB that attracted you to work there in the first place? Um, I think because I'd worked in that administrative role, I had an understanding of the organisation and people always say that it's a great organisation to work for, like that's a really consistent reflection and I was working in a position that had operational firefighters working in functional roles so I'd had ah, that okay. exposure to fireys yeah. and, and I guess one of the main things was that somebody, a firefighter said to me, you'd make a great fiery. Oh, great. I sort of went, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, tell me more. Yeah. So I was really interested in why they thought that. Yes. Um, and I, to be honest, didn't know that women were allowed to be firefighters right. in 1998, right. um, which is a bit of a, a, an embarrassment. I it's interesting, like, isn't it? It's only 20 years ago. And yeah. uh, to think, yeah, but if you thought that working them, then the public would have thought that exactly. as well. Yeah. Exactly. If I've been in the organisation for months and haven't seen a woman in uniform and make assumptions about yeah. it's a job for men, and as a 23-year-old who probably would have called herself a feminist, I yeah. was a bit embarrassed. Right. But um, I knew women could be police officers and that was mm-hmm. actually 
actually mm-hmm. something that I'd wanted to do when I was young. Um, so I was always going to be a helper. Yeah. <laughs> and I was working as a counsellor at that time um, and studying to finish getting my psychotherapy qualifications. So a helping role was what I was going to do. And then I found yeah. out that firefighting was another helping role that is open to everybody. Yeah. yeah. Great. So you joined the operational ranks in 2003. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you go from like an admin role to the operational ranks, you would have had to do quite a bit of training. To oh, completely, yeah. The, yeah. the selection process for the MFB and the CFA is really competitive. There's a lot of people who want to be fireys. We have this phrase about it's the best job in the world. Um, so if you know a firefighter, you know that it's a pretty exciting and rewarding job. Mm. Uh, so there's always a lot of people who want to be firefighters and that's definitely reflected when we do recruitment campaigns. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I had to do a lot of preparation. I was really lucky because I knew firefighters and I knew the organisation, yes, so I probably yeah. had quite a head start in understanding what we do yeah. um, as I came up to the process, but nobody else can do the training for you for the beep test or the physical so aptitude yeah. test. I was yeah. wondering if you did a beep test. Yeah. Absolute nightmare, the beep test. Uh, <laughs> it's painful. Do you remember what you have to get to pass? Uh, we had to do 9.6 to get on okay. to the recruit course, yeah. and then we did it as a group towards the end of our recruit course, and we all did much better. So I don't right. know if they really <laughs> build us up in the recruit course or whether yeah. we were a little less nervous yeah. so we had a bit more energy to spend. Right. And, and is there many other – is there training like I've seen on TV before, different trainings for firefighters where you go into like a – say a shipping container that's been mm-hmm. decked out with the smoke and it's yep. like a real life fire situation. You're doing things like that yes. as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we have real state-of-the-art training facility at um, Femtech, which is the Victorian Emergency Management Training Centre, yep. and we do have that compartment fire behaviour training. So mm. it's exactly that shipping containers where they start a real fire and they can really manipulate it to bring it to a point of flashover wow. and to help really demonstrate in a live situation all of our techniques around gas cooling and and making entry and that kind of thing. So yes. So does do you see does that make or break a lot of people? Do, do you see many people uh, just stop there and go, I can't do this. This isn't for me. No, I don't. I see a lot of people be challenged at some of those points, mm-hmm. and particularly for me, I'd probably reflect more on when we did the tunnels when we first started in recruits, right. because. I had a little bit of, not claustrophobia, and they test for claustrophobia and vertigo as Mm -hmm. part of the entry requirements. Uh, But when somebody says, you know, go down this tunnel, you don't know what's at the other end and Mm. there's no coming back and you're completely stuck in there, you know, to the point that some people who've got a bigger build have to take their breathing apparatus off and push it through the tunnel in front of them in order to wriggle through. That was probably where I had my... I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) And I distinctly remember my recruit buddies being very encouraging. So anytime when we're challenged with that boundary that like, I think this is as far as I can go, the whole premise is that your team works around you to, you know, get around them and move forward. So Mm. everybody has their turn at being the person who supports and the person who might need support. That's good, isn't it? Building that team culture. I think I would struggle. Uh, with the vertigo thing, mm-hmm. I get. I feel funny if I'm on my balcony at home and we're only on the second yeah. floor. <laughs> yeah, and I've I've been through caves before as well for a bit of a cave trek, and it was like army crawling through yep. holes that we my shoulders could just get through. Yeah. And I remember my heart has never pumped like that before. Trying to get through spaces like yep. that, so I can't imagine trying to get through to save someone or yeah, fight look, a fire in that situation. By the time we're doing it in anger, we've done it a lot in training. Right, so yeah. absolutely that's how you feel the first time. And mm. once you have the skill set and you know you know that you've got the team there yeah. doing their piece of it and you know that you've survived it before, you have a lot more sort mm. of, I guess, belief that you're going to survive this yeah. one as well. <laughs> <laughs> is is as- people with asthma, is that a, is that a hurdle when you join the – because I was, I was I suffer from asthma every now and again. I always wondered – that would be something that holds you back from there's joining. definitely real physical requirements and there's mm. a pretty stringent medical. I guess it would depend on what was uncovered through that medical process and yeah. I guess that's a very, you know, as far as people's medical information, that's kind of held yes. confidentially. Yeah, so yeah. to be honest, I don't know if you were diagnosed with asthma. That might be yeah. something that is a bit of a red flag. Yeah, because um, smoke's going to kick it off, isn't it, if you've got – 
about asthma. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and I guess that depends on what kind of asthma you have and what triggers it. So yeah. we really shouldn't be in smoky situations. Yeah. If we're in a smoky situation, then I have a breathing mask on. Ah, so, course. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm always, my number one thing is to protect myself yeah. and then protect my body. And mm-hmm. then we look after the community. Uh, so any smoky situation, if we haven't got a breathing apparatus on, then we're actually not following our procedures. Right. right? Of okay. course, things can go wrong in the heat of the yep. moment. But yeah, so I couldn't tell you the rule on that at the <laughs> moment i wouldn't want to quote something and then have no, somebody find out different <laughs> absolutely fine is there much axe work in your training you, you're hitting many things with axes or, yeah, yeah yeah we we do do a little <laughs> bit of um a little bit of axe work and so we have a number of forcible entry tools so i mm. guess all the time when we're going into a situation where we might need to force entry we have uh, an axe or a 10 pound key and a halligan tool and a rabbit tool which is also a, like a hydraulic spreader oh yeah, um, yeah so we've got a number of tools that that can get us into places yeah. um and yeah I remember some of the my favourite training that we did in recruits. We did a sort of a forced entry, salvage overhaul kind of training, and yep. that was we had to go around the whole facility breaking into things. So <laughs> I got to put an axe through the wind the windscreen of a vehicle Great. in you know part of doing an extrication <laughs> drill kind of thing, and that's that was actually a highlight putting an I axe would through that window. Love to yeah. I would imagine the axe going into something would be a nice yeah, feeling. <laughs> you're kind of not allowed to do that in no, normal yeah, society. That's so right, yeah. We get a lot of privilege being firefighters yeah. and um, going in, having the authority to break into places, you know, yeah. under the act in line with what we're doing about preventing and, um, you know, sort of fighting fires. Mm. Yeah, we get to do stuff that's pretty <laughs> cool in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always say I never want anybody's house to burn down, but no. I – there's no question that we train for a game and when we're doing it for real, that's it's a whole other, you know, sort of situation. Yes. You're really testing testing yourself, testing your skills, the team is being tested and there's really something on the line. So mm. yeah, it's kind of an interesting work environment when yeah. you're when you're working in anger. Do you train with the, you know, you see on the movies, they ram a door down with the big, mm-hmm. like the three or four people ram? We don't like, have any no? rams, no. So um, we do work collaboratively at times with mm. police and so sometimes their rapid response teams will have stuff for forcible entry. Yeah. But often police are asking us to force entry actually. So if they're doing welfare checks or if there's um, a heightened situation, they might ask us because we're a bit more accessible than those response yeah. teams. And you mean with an axe? You just Yeah, knock- yeah, oh, yeah. So a rabbit tool is... So really, um, it's not quite as sexy as an axe or a door, but it's really efficient. Um, once you once you got into the uh, – you started, you, you obviously passed all the course, you've joined the operational team. But do you remember like the first dangerous situation you found yourself in and when you thought, well, I'm really, I'm really in this now? Um, yeah, so there's a lot of firsts. As you, as you turn out as a level one firefighter, you have um, sort of the first layer of responsibility and, yep. you know, we kind of build on that. So I think the MFB does a great job of oh, right, building yeah. on skill sets. So we do a big program at the training college then we're out on shift for about 10 months and come back for what's retention. And so you don't drive a truck in that first time until you go and do another course about driving yeah. and that means then you're the pump operator. So there's a lot of exciting times that because it's the first time you've done it, it's quite thrilling and now I think, oh, I can't believe how excited I was the first time I drove yeah. Code 1. So I drove to an alarm of fire, going through lights, having the lights and sirens on mm. and that was an amazing thrill. So it's kind of like the first time you do something – And probably one of the most dangerous situations I've been in was probably about a year in. And I think a lot of people ask the question about, you know, what's the biggest, Mm. what's the, you know, the scariest thing you've ever done. For me, the firefighting has never really been scary. And I think I've always relied on the, you know, the fact that everybody knows what their piece in that job is, um, the training, our skill sets and our equipment. So I've never actually been in a situation where I was scared, but Mm -hmm. I've definitely been in a situation where I've looked at how close a call it was and thought, whoa. Mm -hmm. So literally standing over the the other side of the road about 15 seconds before a three-storey brick, you know, double brick wall came down in a warehouse that was on fire. And I remember looking to my buddy, we'd come out, we'd been called out under evacuation, which Mm -hmm. very rarely happens. um, And all of our equipment was left in there and wrecked because of the collapse. And it was really, you know, an SSO who was very on his job, who saw Mm. the integrity of the building giving way and pulled all the crews back. And I remember 
kind of just going, whoa, it's like we're in a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like this brick wall fell out and squashed all these cars in the street. Oh. We're kind of looking at each, at each other just going, whoa, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty close. So there's a lot of close calls. Mm. Um, you know, I think a lot of times you're just out of a situation because you've been reading it, whether that's about a flash over in a fire or a collapse in a structure. So, yeah, there's Did- a... Does your training – like I know if I, if an average person was in that situation and they got called out, like evacuated from a building and saw the building fall, I find when you see situations like that, things go in slow motion. You know, mm-hmm. that, that thing like if you see a car accident yep. or something, it happens in slow motion. Does your training train you to get out of that and you, you sort of see all that in real time? Like is that – uh, or did you see that building fall and just think it all happened or everything slowed down? Look, I know exactly what you're talking about with that slowing down. I've been in a car accident where I was like, that really happened. Mm. You know, it was like, seemed like a minute, which would have been a few seconds. It's hard to say. I think I think we stay much more present, although sometimes it does feel quite surreal when you watch things like rolling flames in a compartment that you're in and you're it's sort of like, wow, this is not an everyday occurrence. So we have still yeah. have that sense of surreal sort of experience, but yeah. absolutely training kicks in. And that's why we train day in, day out yeah. to make sure that you don't have to think about something, you know, you're not going through steps, you're just doing it. So the muscle memory, the embedding it to the point that you don't even need to think about yeah. what you're going to do in that situation. Right, right. So once you're in, you're in now, and you've, you've, you know, you've been in there for a couple of years. And what was sort of the most common fire you were going to fight around the Melbourne area? Um, so I got moved into the city. I started in Thomastown mm-hmm. when I first came out as a level one, um, and the outstations in suburbs are a bit different to the central district stations, and each you know, sort of region that we have is a bit different as well, kind of reflects, I guess, the community that we're serving sometimes. Uh, you know, you see a prevalence of fire, I guess, disaster sort of follows socioeconomic demographic disadvantage yeah. as well. So our Western districts are busier with fires than what our Eastern districts are. Okay. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time doing preventative work and education about fire safety. Mm. And obviously, you know, you get traction in different ways with different groups. So when I came into the city, that's sort of two years in, I guess with the city we have a lot of high rises, a lot mm-hmm. of what we call direct brigade alarms. So we go to fire indicator panels that have indicated an issue with a sensor in a building. Yeah. So we have a lot of false alarms and we have a lot of bin fires. Right. But yeah, I worked in – when I first moved to Melbourne, I had a couple of call centre jobs in the city. Mm-hmm. And I feel like once a week they're in the, in the – like Collins Street or somewhere around there, there'd be fire brigade – yeah. At, like with an evacuation, but for a false alarm, yep. toast in a in a in a exactly. tea room or yeah, yeah. Uh, is that frustrating? For, I, I know you you know that's your, your job is to respond to the call. You don't yep. know what you're going to. Yep. Is it frustrating though? Once you come, just because of the sh- maybe not once, it's not frustrating, but just sheer numbers of that yeah. happening all the time, where your time could be spent. Better than could just be better spent. Absolutely, putting some toast in a bin. Yeah, you know? could definitely yeah. be better spent. Yeah. Um, and you're right; it's the job that we do. If you're stationed at that station, that's part of what comes with it. I'm really intolerant of smokers, anyway. So if I go to twelve <laughs> bin fires started by cigarette smokers on a hot, windy day. Mm. I start to get fairly frustrated yeah. about that. Yeah. Of course, none of the community would see that <laughs> uh, because you know we all work very professionally. Uh, but yeah, definitely no question that the you know, going out to 15, sometimes more calls in one day. It's just exhausting as well, mm, you know, like yeah. on a 40-degree summer's day when we're putting on all of our bunker gear and getting in a truck to respond to a bin fire, mm. that physical tax on our body, you know, we didn't do anything anywhere near interesting or heroic for the day, but we're exhausted mm. and dehydrated and spent. Yeah. So, you know, it has it has an untold um, impact yeah, all, on the firefighters, yeah. but also on the community as we're coming through Code 1. You know, that's, that's a pretty big risk to drive a seven-ton truck through the middle of, you know, what is generally mostly a pedestrian area where there are mm. pedestrians who've got their headphones in yeah. and aren't interested in what the risks are. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it causes a risk. And I think that's what frustrates me the most is the risk that it creates in yeah. the community. So bin your butts but put them out before you 
bin your butt. So yes. you just dub, yeah, butt tap them out, out, butt it out butt on it the out. bin. Yeah, put make it sure in the ashtray. Lick it to make sure next it's to it. out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't do it in the first place. Yeah, yeah. City of Melbourne actually just introduced a new technology in their bins where they have a compactor. Um, so there are those, there yeah. are technologies around the world. In fact, there are bins with sprinklers installed in them. Um, oh. We don't have those yet, but <laughs> I'd, I'd be interested to see what the stats are about yeah. since the implementation of those bins that are meant to reduce the incidence of fire. Yeah. It is a it is a worry to think you are on your shifts are twelve hours, uh, ten hour day shifts, fourteen hour night right. shifts. So, yeah. say you're eight hours into a shift, you've been to six bin fires that have just, and then you've got to go to an actual yeah. proper high rise fire. Yeah. It's annoying from my perspective that you've had to go and do all that, and then you've got to go to a proper dangerous situation when you're yep. exhausted. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You've sort of been taxed beforehand. Yeah. And I, I guess that's the the issue about the requirement for fitness is that, you know, fitness is that you can do everything mm. and then do a little bit more again. Yeah. And absolutely they're the times when we might start to see people be more heat affected, more affected by that, um, yeah. that work fatigue, definitely. And I think even worse than that, you know, I could be at a building which has instigated a, a direct response. So we've got three trucks there and then there's a building one block away that has an actual event that really mm. needs firefighters and we're tied up re- resetting a panel is what it's called so yep. just you know going yep there's the detector that's gone off for no real reason and so you can have crews tied up somewhere else not available through our processes mm-hmm. and an actual incident happening somewhere right. else yeah. yeah unbelievable hmm. uh we just touched on hours of a, yep. of a F- mfp staff member uh in the operational uh ranks uh so you're saying it's four days on Four days off. Yep. Is it is is that for everyone? Is that the standard? So if you're on if you're in operations, so mm. some operational people are working in functional positions in okay. a in a business unit, yep. um, and I've done that at times. But at the moment, I'm on D shift at fire station number one. So that means that we work two days and two nights. So I start tomorrow morning at. 8 a.m., mm-hmm. work until 6 p.m., same again on Friday, and then on Saturday I'll come into work at 6 p.m. and work till 8 a.m., okay. come back yep. at 6 p.m. that day and work till 8 a.m. So we do 48 hours over that four days, which is a big work week in four yeah. days, but then we get a long weekend, yeah, which is yeah. pretty good. So we have the next 72 hours off. So. It do, it, yeah, it does sound – I would rather do – Four, four days and get all my hours in a four-day period yeah. than over the five, yeah, yeah get the four days off. Get the job done and then yeah. get some time off, yeah. Uh, when you're at the station, wait, I've heard of five. Do you play cards? Is that true that you play cards and things like that to buy the time or are you actually always – Look, up to it, something that really depends on which station you're at and yeah. what your role is and probably a little bit about where you are in in your career as well. So if I reflected on Eastern Hill where I am at the moment mm-hmm. compared I guess you know a station that's out here so maybe I'm trying to think we're near 32 station which is a smaller station with mm-hmm. less calls because it doesn't have all that high rise and all those bin fires yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but you know then they're busier because they've got more schools to go and do fire ed with they're yeah. busier with emr events so we do emergency medical response mm-hmm. and so that station has a different demographic and ambulance is less you know less available outside of the cbd yeah. uh, so they might be working a lot more in active emr responses than what i am so it kind of, you know, there's no one set day. There's not not yeah. even on the same day between stations. Um, we do definitely get some downtime, which yeah. is great. We, uh, as an officer, I guess I'm always thinking, well, you know, time to lean, time to clean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we all do, we do the cleaning of our stations. So, you know, we have station duties, cleaning the toilets and the oh, showers right. and the kitchens and, you know, vacuuming and cleaning the trucks, making sure everything's schmick. Oh, so yep. there's a lot of stuff that we do that the community doesn't see and they might mm. just think, you know, when the truck rolls out the door, that's when we start work. Mm. We're working, you know, kind all of the time, all the yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from that real basic keep the station clean and in order and, you know, ordering our station store and counting the keys that we hold to gain access to buildings mm-hmm. in our area, uh, going to schools. We do fire ed for every prep and every um, upper primary, grade five, six. So yeah. uh, every school is offered that across our district. Um, so some stations are really busy with that at different times of the year. And then we'll have kindergartens ask us to, if they can come for a visit or we'll do something with a community group in the station or we'll visit a community group. So there's a whole heap of that education stuff going on yeah. as well. And I think, like I said before, the the uniform gets us a lot of 
privilege. You know, kids yeah, think yeah. we're pretty cool. Say that. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, so must be a buzz going yeah, to the schools. Yeah. yeah, no, it is. And they listen to us. You know, when they're going, uh, their parents, you know, wouldn't know anything, but a firefighter tells them to get down low, go, go, <laughs> go, 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 go. So that's yeah. still the slogan: get down it low, is. go, go, go. Yeah. yeah, that was what it yep, yep. was Crawl when down I was a low, kid. Go, go, go. Yeah, yeah. And I remember zero, zero, zero. Right. Yeah. yeah, I remember Ronald McDonald was on an ad when I was a kid, and he was it was to get down low, go uh-huh. go go, and you touch the door yep. on your hands and knees, and yep. if it's hot, you don't go through that door. Look how well That's that it. works. See, See? here yeah, you are, safe and sound. <laughs> <laughs> and look, there's no underestimating. As much as we laugh about, we remember mm. when we learned that. You know, kids learn that, and yep. then, and we have such clear data about. Young people who've learnt it at school have found themselves in a situation and said, I did what the firefighters told me to do. Mm. And it actually brings me goosebumps just yeah. thinking about that, that, you know, that's one of the most direct A to B. Like our crews went into a school, they talked to a group of kids and that kid implemented something that yeah. saved their life or they called 000 when their parent had collapsed. Mm. And, you know, so that just, you can just see from A to B, firefighter, education into saving lives and that's just one of the things that the job is awesome for you can really see how you make a difference in the community yeah have you noticed uh in your time going to schools uh young girls Mm -hmm. get more interested in it uh when they see you know a female firefighter come to the school yeah i reflect a lot on that yeah (laughs) you have to be careful unless you really want to go down the rabbit holes i've um i've often quoted a story that happened a number of years ago now but you know we still really have this bias this gender created bias about the job being one that's a boy's job Mm -hmm. um and you know there's there's contemporary things that reflect that research and little videos on youtube about kids drawing boys instead of girls when you ask them to draw firefighters and i had friends when i said i was going to join firefighting i had friends who said oh you're going to be a fireman and i'd sort of look down and go well i'm not that committed but i'm going to be a firefighter yeah so i still we're we're always correcting people about you know Mm. the correct terminology and some people think well that's just semantics but actually in a cultural way it's really important you know the culture holds you know language holds culture where it is or helps it progress and I'm a real advocate for wanting it to progress so I've done a lot of work in my uniform showing girls you know look here, yeah. girl, like you. Yeah. I was like you once. You could be doing this one time. Yeah. So, yeah, but I've had, I've had a teacher say, oh, look, children, it's a girl fireman. And I was just like, whoa, you're the teacher. A girl fireman. <laughs> yeah. It like, doesn't even work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, then it's just, you know, a happy smile. It's like, we're all firefighters, actually, children. You know, I introduced my crew. So, this is firefighter mm. Matt. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I really try to avoid the incorrect term of fireman because yeah. I think it really holds it tells Absolutely. little girls yeah, it's not for you and that's mm. not true. And I watched that at our – we have a public display at um, at Eastern Hill on Fridays, the Friday display. It's a great thing to bring kids along to. And I often watch carers, so parents, grandparents of children interact with their little boys and their little girls very differently. And I just think, oh, no. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> you know, if the girl starts to get overwhelmed, oh, come over here and sit down and be a nice little girl who's quiet and not scared, yeah. you know, whereas the boy it's like, be brave. You know, sometimes they'll have the okay. hand yeah. in the back, get up there and stop crying. It's like, mm. whoa, hang on, both of those are unhelpful. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's a big fire truck, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of overwhelming when you're used to playing with a little one and then you're as big as the wheel when you come to visit a real one. Yeah. Um, so both boys and girls need to have the support to be courageous and have, you know, adventure mm. that's safe for them. So, yeah, yeah, I see a lot of that cultural um, gendered construct sort of stuff still mm. happening. But I guess I'm just being the change I want yeah, to see in the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once, yeah change it. It'll change, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. Every year it, it gets is changing. more and more, yeah. Yeah, and I just reflected the other day we are at a time that is really exciting mm. in the world as far as, uh, you know, kind of understanding how that gendered construct is impacting our communities negatively and, you know, Me Too mm. campaigns and things yeah. like Like it's on the agenda for us as an organisation. Diversity of our operational force is a real priority mm. uh, across the country. We've got like a governing an umbrella body called AFAC and it's in their top two. Like, you know, what's important for fire services at the moment is increasing diversity. And that's not just gender. Um, You know, diversity presents in lots of ways, Mm. but we can count the women really easily. So we we count them and, and, you know, we measure that and report it back to government.
government. So things are super different compared to when I first learned that girls could be firefighters. Excellent. You're listening to Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. I wanted just to go back to your role within the uh, uh, within the station uh, on a day to day basis. So you you'll, you'll get a call out yep. to something. So car crashes will a fire brigade always be called to a car crash because of the the road and the. Yeah, so it depends on how the call comes through. So a lot happens at that time when you call triple zero. You know, you get asked a number of questions and the dispatchers then make decisions on who gets responded to that, so police, fire, ambulance. Uh, So often for car accidents, if there's any question about there being fuel on the road, and a lot of times people see radiator fluid and think, oh, that might be petrol. So they say, yeah, there might be fuel. Um, So we we get responded for that. If there's possible person trapped, so the call taker will ask, is anybody in the car? Mm -hmm. Then we respond a pumper, which is, you know, a fire truck. So Mm -hmm. a pumper tanker, a primary response, and then also a heavy rescue unit. So that's the team who has the equipment and the expertise to cut people out. So the jaws of life. Kind of okay, thing, yeah. yeah. So that yeah. kind of picture. Um, so they're co-responded. A, a primary appliance is we've got more of those in Melbourne, so they'll they'll often get there first and be able to give a bit of a situation report to the rescue crew coming on and start some work. Um, so then we work as a team, and the the heavy rescue team would do the extrication that was required. Yeah. So yeah, so you you always get the best response that you could possibly need. So. Mm-hmm. The same thing with our emergency medical response. That's a co-response with ambulance. So if there was somebody who was unconscious on the floor, we'd call triple zero and say we need an ambulance. Then if they asked us, do they have a pulse? Are they breathing? If there was any question that they might not have a pulse, then we would be co-responding the fire brigade. And that's because we've got really good skills at the chain of survival. So really for cardiac arrest. So we do great CPR, like awesome CPR. Firefighters are very (laughs) – I think because we're really tough and we're we're used to breaking things. (laughs) We're kind of straight into it. And then we have um, defibrillators so we can do early defibrillation. So that's the chain of survival for, you know, a good result out of a car cardiac arrest um, and we've seen hundreds of what we call saves out of that co-response so mm-hmm. mfb responding with ambulance being there before ambulance and a person you know walking out of hospital 10 days yeah. later so it's a really it's a real added value a lot of people don't know that we do emergency medical mm. response they think firefighter they picture fire yeah and so then when i talk about education or all the prevention work that we're doing in the built environment and there's a lot of that as well uh, when I talk about road accident rescue or search and rescue or, you know, we have specialised things around, um, you know, so we, we can do interstate and international deployment with things like our RPAS, so our drones that can do visual visuals. So we work in partnership with people for search and rescue or yeah. with the police and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of things other than, than firefighting. Mm. So when people ask me about what an average day is, there's no such thing. Yeah. And I can think I know what the day's going to hold. And yeah. even before muster, you know, before 8 a.m., I might know, well, that's all out the window. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely. It's, yeah. Uh, so if, uh, for example, uh, police, ambulance, and fire brigade are called, mm-hmm. uh, you get there first. Is mm-hmm. that a possibility at the time? Yeah. yeah. So you get there first. Uh, there's, uh, like, you know, either a violent situation going on mm-hmm. that a police would either taser or, but they're not there. Will firefighters ever stop a situation like that or, or do you have to like do you have to just literally like wait and maybe contain the situation until someone yeah, gets so there I'm I, always curious by that because yeah when all three are being called yep. and recently the ambulance officers have just had the new yep. law passed in Victoria yeah. where they can't be uh, assault, assault is same as uh, I think it was the same as mur- a similar trial as murder yeah so if you're assaulting an emergency service worker mm. there's a higher penalty which yeah. you know I think there was real social outcry about mm. the um, the retraction of the consequence for those people's behaviour mm. recently. And I actually personally know one of those ambos. Right. And when we reflect on 
the increase of, you know, that real assault around mm. emergency services workers, it's getting out of control and it's completely yeah. unacceptable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I see it in police as well and growingly, you know, very sadly it's been something that the MFBs had to deal with yes. as well. So recently. that's in that, in that situation where you get there first. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And some people are just not, um, not making good choices. Mm. Um, so we have a whole heap of procedure around that, obviously. Yeah, so, yeah. And it's, you know, if you look at our environmental scan of what our challenges are as a service that's growing in what we deliver and the context mm. is changing, then Hostile Acts is one of them. Yep. Uh, you know, we have an expert who's uh, been working with police and all that training and, and those procedures are being developed for fire services. So we have, you know, we have a thing called a signal. So we call a signal over the radio to communicate to other services if there's the risk of that. And so, so yeah, we've got a lot of processes around it. And it, it's sadly something that when I joined, I wasn't thinking that I would have to be mindful about whether this might be a hostile act. Mm. I think that's a change in our in our community's landscape. But absolutely, as I said before, my safety, then my buddy's safety. Yeah. And for me, you know, as, as an officer, I kind of always think my crew's safety. I, I yeah. really, in, at, at times, I think I'm I'm almost more concerned about that because of the sense of responsibility mm. and care for them that I have. But you know, the crew is the is the primary focus. And mm. if we can do things safely, then we do. So we might be advised to approach without sirens if it's a siege situation. Uh, if it's a bomb threat, then we have processes about parking a block away, okay. facing away from where the the shockwave would come from, being right. mindful of how that shockwave would bounce through buildings, linking a hose up to a hydrant, not through our pump, so having water available, but a, an opportunity for retreat if that's okay. required. So, yeah, so all of those things, yeah. we, you know, they tabletop them, they do exercises about what if, what if, what if, mm-hmm. um, and then we have our emergency response guidelines about how we would respond to those. Yeah. yeah. I, I would imagine it would be hard being in a role that is, you know, caring for the community and saving the day, so to speak. It would be hard to get first, you know, responding first to an incident where there's someone being violent and not mm. instinct would take over. Wouldn't you just want to help anyone that's in trouble? And if and we have, you know, one of the, the guiding principles that we use is dynamic risk assessment. So, you know, we have a whole heap of training, equipment, capacity, and I guess that's what's happening in a firefighter's response mode is that every minute along that path from the time that we get the information across the turnout in the station to when we're driving, we might get further information on the radio to when we're on scene and we start to be able to take in information about what we see. Um, But, you know, when you talk to people who responded, for instance, um, our shift responded to the Burke Street Mm -hmm. um, vehicle incident. And so there was, you know, we were responded to an EMR event so that we weren't responded to what was going on. So we had some information and then more information on the way. And then obviously the truck turned into the street and you could see, you know, three city blocks look, you know, of mayhem. Yeah. Uh, And that's when you kind of get to that plan C. It's like, okay, this is not what we were told. It's not what we were expecting. Uh, and you have to expect the unexpected. Yeah. There, there are always the the big stories about when we thought it would be a little something, and you actually get on scene and find out that it's something completely different. So that mm. ability to be uh, responsive and agile to really kind mm. of adapt to the situation. It's like, whoa, okay, let's um, let's try another tack yeah. on this. Yeah, yeah, and and is it with something like the Burke Street uh, incident? Is there a, a great camaraderie amongst the different uh, emergency services that when something like that happens and you're saying it's not exactly what you had heard on the radio that you were coming to, that everyone just sort of works together? Is there someone there that's in charge and tells all the other emergency responses where to go, how they're doing it, or is it just you're all just instantly a team, you just try and fix the situation? Both of those are true. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so we have um, incident management systems that get kicked into play and yeah. so um, in that sort of situation our commander would go to a centralised point. Yeah. Um, so there are different things, you know, not to get too technical, you know, there's the MV, the Emergency Management Manual of Victoria, which yeah. says who the combating agency is. So mm-hmm. if it's a, you know, if it's a hostile act or you know, there are things that the police are responsible for, things that fire services are responsible for. And so depending on that, that will decide who the incident controller is and then the other services support that. So absolutely, there's massive collaboration. There's a whole heap of working to understand how we would work together in these situations. And 
absolutely on the ground. There is something about when you're in uniform and you're working with another person. You know, we work so closely with ambulance and police all the time that they're they're part of our team mm. at that time when that's yeah. the, the field that we're on, definitely, yes. yeah. And, and do you have friends outside of le- that are in – you were saying you've got friends in ambulance. And, yeah. And do you, is that from meeting people yeah. on the job? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some t- sometimes it's through – well, I was co-located with ambulance when I first started. Okay. So we had yeah. an ambulance rolling out of the same station and some of my best friends over over the course of my, um, of my career have come from those interactions. Yeah. Absolutely. And you don't need to know the person to have that sense of, um, you know, I guess it's like you're one of us. You, mm, you know what yeah. we're talking about. You're going yeah. to sideways look. And, uh, yeah, so – and when you're at a situation where the, the heat of the emergency has passed but, you know, maybe you're waiting for towing allocation for the vehicles, you know, the ambulance have taken the critical people away and having a chat with the other ambo who's there and the cops mm. who you're going to hand over to. And so we're all working together about, okay, what do I need to do and what do you need to do? And obviously crews have done all the hard work. So they're standing around saying, you know, when do we get to go, boss? <laughs> so they're <laughs> yeah. having a chat with them as well. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of collegiate sort of um, interaction. Excellent. Great. Uh, you've been station officer since 2014. Yes, yeah, senior station officer. Senior yeah. station officer. So we have a rank system that yes, goes from so one right. chief down to, you know, it's a big pyramid mm. down through to firefighters. Um so, and you know, the, the big base of the of the pyramid is those firefighters who are driving the trucks on the back mm-hmm. seat of the trucks, doing all the hard work, um, very much at the pointy end of our response. Uh, so, what, what's their rank? So, that's firefighter of Just level fi- one, two, level or three, one, yeah. leading firefighter, mm-hmm. senior leading firefighter. So, that depends on what courses and, and sort of um, things you've been checked off at. So to yeah. go to a leading firefighter, it's a promotional course. You have to do a whole heap of learning modules and then some practical examinations. And then you can be the officer in charge on a truck. Uh, and then the next step is to be the station officer, which is yeah. the person. And we sit in the passenger front seat. Yeah. And so, you know, then we do the radio and the sirens right. and come up with our tactics and that kind of thing. And again, you know, all of these things, they're, they're processes in place to just make things clear. When you roll out of a station with four of you on the truck, you're a team of four and you're going to get whatever mm. job is required, whether you're first on or the, you know, third on and you've got another piece of the puzzle to do. So, yeah, and then you can take another promotion. And, you know, it's, there's a process around applying and sitting exams and doing yard drills, which is like pretend, you know, make believe yep. firefighting kind of things that they test you on. And so I hold the rank of senior station officer at the moment, although I've just had really good news that I'm going to be on a commander development course. Oh. So I'll move to the next rank. So. Excellent. Excellent. I'm getting, you know, I'm getting exposure to yeah. all the ranks, well, a lot of the ranks of the organisation and learning a lot every time you you sort of step up your your breadth of view yeah. kind of changes and you see some of the other impacts and considerations that you need to have that you don't need to know about when you're driving a truck out of a station. You don't have to care about what the statement of expectation is from the minister. It's like, yeah. whatever, I'm driving this truck to this call. So, um, yeah, up the, up the chain there's different things. So at the moment... Like tomorrow when I go to work, I'll be sitting on the A appliance at number one station with three other amazing firefighters and we'll roll out the door and do whatever needs to yeah. be done to for whatever we're called to. Yeah. With, with traffic on the way, when you're in sitting in that front seat in the fire, <laughs> 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 because the lights, uh, I feel like I've seen movie, movies before where you can determine what the lights are doing. Yeah, there is but, some technology and we've trialled it before. We've yeah. had black boxes on the trucks that have impacted the the lights in our maintenance area. Yeah. It, it, it didn't get traction. I couldn't explain. You know, there's a whole department mm. that looks at our R and D and our, um, you know, our fleet and equipment and resources. Um, and again, people who are doing really in depth research in there to inform what we're going to choose. Not my area of expertise. Um, <laughs> but we don't have those, so we really do just have our lights and sirens and people's common sense to mm. rely on. So, what would you like? Which are very, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very what? poor. What what would you like people to do when there's a fire a, a fire truck steaming up behind them, yeah. lights going, siren going, you you just want them to move to the left just, or just right? To follow just follow the law. Yeah, move to the left and yeah. stop. Move safely and stop yeah. and let the vehicle get out pass. of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it seems very simple. <laughs> you, see, I've I've pulled be. over before and say same for ambulances. You see mm. people just stay in the. You're like, get out of the way. Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. yeah. At times I can be a bit vocal about that. (laughs) And look, at times I also step back and think it's not their day-to-day work. You know, Mm. so for us to be 
blaring down the 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 traffic and knowing what we need to do you know mm. it's it's often unexpected so i try to have some compassion in everything that i do in the mm. world um so you know maybe they're not expecting it but you know cars these days they're more soundproof people have mm. got their music up people have got earbuds in while they're driving <laughs> so their capacity to take in information yeah. from the environment is really reduced and that's usually when we see things go wrong you know somebody sitting in the middle of an intersection they're like oh but i want to turn right and yeah. i'm talking on my phone yeah. and oh but so yeah get the axe out put the oh, axe through their window and I, wake I, them I, can't, <laughs> I can't be heard to say things like yeah. you can speak on our <laughs> yeah. behalf of, yeah. you know just imagine the frustration you're trying to get somewhere and Absolutely. for me especially when we're going to emergency medical response mm. you know because 20 seconds can be the difference between being able to get a rhythm back and not and mm. i just think you know if that was your mum wouldn't you yeah. want everybody to be getting out of the way get so that they can get to work as mm. quick as possible yeah so, so two please. things you take from today is put your bloody butts out in the bins <laughs> and get over to the left and get out of the bloody way will you <laughs> i love this thank you for yeah, the community no. service announcement we need more of it no worries uh you say you, you're the senior station officer how, how many uh female senior station officer officers are there in mfb oh you're testing me so I is know it is it only a handful or we've is it? got 13 who hold the rank of officer station officer or senior station officer mm-hmm. and as i think so there's me and trudy and mac and, uh, <laughs> and it's funny how i know them all yeah <laughs> so i think there's about five of us who hold sso okay. so there'll be two women on the commander's development course later in the year yep. so trudy has was successful on pre-entry so so the two of us will go through that course so that'll be two less at officer rank but mm-hmm. two more at commander rank. Um, so, yeah, so 13, which is, uh, you know, we've got about 1,900 firefighters in total um, and I think that there's about 70-something firefighters, you know, women in operations. So um, okay, it's not a great percentage. What, what Do you remember, would there have been half that when you started or less? Oh, much less, yeah. yeah. So we're up to like about, we hover around the three and a half. Sometimes we've got as close to 4%. Mm-hmm. Um, when I joined, so when I first got told you'd make a great fiery and I was like, what? <laughs> Steve actually said to me, yeah, we've got chicks that are fireys. There's seven of them. So seven out of 2,000. Wow. <laughs> I'm just yeah. like, oh, my gosh. And then he went on to tell me that Sharon's a great operator. And I'm like, oh, cool. So, you know, I got to meet Sharon yeah. later down the track. Um, so when I joined, Kim and I were on recruits together in 03, and I think that we tipped it into 1% you know, of women represented. And so to get up to 4%, and, and that happened in about the – Within the first 10 years, Mm -hmm. maybe even less than that. So within 10 years to quadruple is a pretty good growth factor. So I was kind of thinking, yeah, we're doing all right. You know, people talk about it's a generational change. And so I probably had a bit more patience then because I could see a reasonable trajectory and it had been a reasonable time frame. I'm not so reasonable anymore. I'm really like women have been around for 30 years. So it's 30 years this year women have been in operations and for us to have – to, for us to have tailed off and be less represented mm. is showing some issues about what our pipeline is or what we're doing around the mm. understanding of the role or something. So yeah, so I'm a little less patient now. I kind right. of right. I think it, yeah, seventy out of the, that that does surprise me. I thought it would be. I thought maybe it'd be like two hundred out of out of fifteen hundred or something like yeah, that. Yeah, wow, that would yeah. we, that would be astounding. So across the country, MFB um, performs pretty well, mm-hmm. but you know, and pretty well, <laughs> pretty well <laughs> on a very bad standard. So across the country, three and a half percent is about the average in mm. in paid full time firefighter roles. We see higher rates in volunteerism, um, mm-hmm. you know, and. We can reflect on why that might be. But, you know, that is a bit of a standard. And it's probably the standard across the globe. There, is, there are brigades that do worse, but there are brigades that are doing much better. And I think I hold them up as the example of, well, you can have a better representation. Mm. And um, I often sort of reflect about if you – so diversity, and I said it before, gender isn't the only angle of mm. diversity. I've got a lot of different, you know, angles that show my diversity. Yeah. But an organisation that – is supportive of gender diversity will also be supportive of other types of diversity. So if a group includes women when it's male-dominated, it will also be able to include people who have other diversity. And that's what I want to see our organisation do, really value that, you know, engage it 
see the value of it and not be, you know, too defensive about, well, does it mean I'm not good enough? Because it mm. doesn't mean that men aren't good at the job. They're bloody good at it. Yeah. They've been really good at it for 125 years. Mm. Um, so it's not – you don't have to take that away to offer something else. No, it's yeah. like it's not a binary thing. We can add more. It's um, it's a complex thing, as I said as I said before. Mm. Um, well, it seems, yeah, it seems like something you're very passionate about. I am. And <laughs> – that kind of leads me into the next question. Uh, as well as being senior station officer, you're also the president of Women and Firefighting Australia. Australasia, actually. Australasia. Sorry to correct you. That's all right. <laughs> yeah. So, so, that, uh, we, um, so that explains your passion for, for this, you know, trying to get more females in, yeah, you know, well, I don't know that either explains the other, but yeah. uh, they're certainly related. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and so WAFA eat much, much smaller mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a, it's a absolutely, it's a great group. I've been involved with them for about six years and they've been around for about 10 years and mm-hmm. it's been a hard slog for 10 years. Yeah. And the people who uh, had the, you know, sort of had the, the idea of it, um, there was a professor, Marilyn Childs, up at I think this is the University of Wollongong, and she had um, she had some personal experience that meant that she wanted to kind of look into women in firefighting, um, and she brought some women from across the country together in two thousand and six in Sydney, and that, that was sort of the birthplace of wow, I'm not the only one. You, yeah. know, you kind of think if you're in a group of only ten people out of two thousand, you don't hang out with chicks that often. Mm. Um, so that sense of I'm you know I'm not alone, or there's more like me, or I can see me um, was really born and so we're an association that essentially uh, well I can tell you that our vision is about promoting equity across our sector to empower all women to embrace their strengths Mm -hmm. so it's about acknowledging that there's some gender diversity issues in fire services um, and what can we do to help that and it's men and women helping that we Mm -hmm. actually have quotas about men being represented on our board and attending our conferences we have a biennial conference which this year is in September in New Zealand which is an an amazing um, experience you know to come from across the country and be in a place that's really about celebrating and and providing something that's for women in firefighting uh, doesn't happen anywhere else because there isn't really a big demand for it. Right. So yeah, so we work as a we're a group of there's about uh, ten of us on sort of a an, a board um, that organises things and we've got a couple of hundred members and we try to really promote women, work with agencies about supporting gender diversity, give information to our members and. Um, you know, we push out a newsletter and we put on a conference and we try to organise mm. some professional development opportunities. So it's uh, really about pushing that. And that's one of those things where, you know, I said I was more patient when I was yeah. more junior in the <laughs> yeah. job. I probably used to think, oh, what do you need that for? I'm having a good life. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, then I started to understand more about some of the ingrained cultural issues and that not everybody was having a great time of it, having okay. diversity in the fire services. Right. So I decided that I'd be a bit of an advocate because yeah. I've always had a bit of a social justice bent yeah. yeah it was just the 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 next the next branch of it for me yeah so yeah super passionate about it it's excellent and so you've got friends with young kids and there's a girl there do you and your friends know that you're a firefighter do you like say to them you know they, they could do that one day and yeah yeah is yeah. it just like little things like that just trying to yeah. spread the message yourself one yeah. person at a time yeah. i when i look at the big picture sometimes i get a bit disheartened I see the way in which the culture is really kind of um I guess pretty solid in what it is you Mm. know if you think about the theory of culture we've got all the things that really solidifies it um, and that is in a very Anglo male kind of way and so I think well yep I think about it strategically and I do things like try to affect the the country as a whole and all the agencies and heads of agencies and then on a day-to-day basis i I sort of like to describe it as I just – I cast seeds out all yeah, the time. So yeah. I used to pick my daughter up in uniform from school Great. all yeah, the time. Great. And the boys would be like high-fiving me and the girls would be looking at me like, you know, what? <laughs> <laughs> and so just those little engaging conversations. Yeah. There's a phrase that's often used, um, you know, you have to see it to be it. Mm. And so I thought, well, all these kids at this primary school every day can see – a woman in uniform, mm. the way that they might see men more often in uniform. Um, and I talk to girls' schools, like year 10 sort of level, I was about talk to say, about yeah, yeah, I think, firefighting as a career. Yeah, career messages yeah. in my head were, 
were more. Uh, I definitely paid more attention from sort of year 10, 11, yeah. 12. Than, like when you're a kid, you ever, you, know, you want to be a firefighter or a <laughs> professional footballer or something. But Ballerina. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're yeah, very exactly. gendered, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. really are. That's right. And you work out your – I think you work it out more once you hit your 10, year 10 yeah. 11, 12, sort of 16, 17, starts 18. getting real. You've got to yeah, choose the university right. You're running out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think – I just find, I feel like if – a lot of girls at the, you know that age knew that it was a possibility. Yep. I just feel like they would. There'd be a. I'm surprised that it's the numbers are, are seventy in that. You know, yeah. in, the, in the MFB because I, I just feel like it's a very appealing. There's a lot of a lot of appeal for this, oh, like compared it's to so the many other. Job in the world. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. They say it all the time, yeah. and there is nothing that compares to it. Mm. Really, isn't. And there is this belief about you know we're kicking indoors and putting wet stuff on red stuff. You know, it's yeah. kind of like not so much anymore. You know, for a start, we're too old and we have health and safety, so we use a rabbit tool. We don't kick yeah. it in. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, that's the reality. Our procedures are about staying safe and doing things safely. Mm. And you know, yeah, we go to fires five percent of the time. Yeah. So 95% of the time, what skill set are you using? Yeah, yeah. So the skill set for a firefighter is about, gosh, being able to live with people in close confines on a station, (laughs) you know, being able to get along, being able to, you know, kind of have that social um, capacity to work well but, you know, know when when you're on game and know when you're having downtime, to Mm. know how to engage with, you know, with a passerby from the station. So, and, And I look at firefighters and their capacity you know, like I see them go and belt axes through doors and be amazingly strong and skilled at what they're doing. Mm. And then I see them bend down and engage with a four-year-old little kid in the street. Yeah. And I just think, wow, look at your diversity. You know, you can go from, from the left-hand quadrant to the right-hand quadrant. Yeah. So that skill set around interpersonal skills and the ability to communicate mm. and get along in a team and take your job really seriously, like it, it's absolutely game face when it's game face, and take your job not so seriously when you're doing stop, drop, cover and roll with yeah, kids yeah. at the Friday display or at yeah. school kind of thing. So um, – so yeah, that um, that capacity of firefighters is not something that everybody understands. They see it glorified mm. in movies, yes. and yeah. you know, so they think, oh well, you have to be this big, you know, beefcake. They mm. buy a calendar, seems to <laughs> be overrepresented. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of that style of uh, of person as a firefighter. Yeah. Um, so for me, you know, I kind of the skill set that I brought. I was from a background in counselling, so mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the times there'd be the hand in the back of people senior to me going you go and talk to that girl that's crying because I'm not comfortable with that. So, you know, and we're all developing those skill sets as we do more of that EMR or communicating with a diverse community. So, yeah, if you've got the capacity to – uh, be a calm sense of de-escalation in a situation that might end up violent. But, mm. you know, you can go in and you can bring things down. So yeah. that's a, a good skill set to have when we turn yeah. up first on scene to somebody who's agitated. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, and the whole being able to go in with fist flying might not be the the, yeah. the best choice that's in a situation. Right. So, yeah, yeah, there's – um, I think people need to understand that the skill set for a firefighter is much broader than – the physicality and of course we've got to be super fit and strong and especially to get recruited like that Mm. is where you're at the the most competitive to Mm. that but day in day out you know I've got to be able to handle the fatigue the exposure to heat the getting up and doing it again the Mm. you know still still giving it my best at plan c when a and b have failed so the there's no question that we need to be fit and strong and focused and, you know, mm. on our game, but we need other things as well. Yeah. And diverse people bring diverse skill sets. Mm. If you've got a team with all of those skill sets on, you know, if you get that on one truck, it's like awesome. We've got yeah. everything we need right <laughs> in this truck. And you get four days off. So just bloody think <laughs> about that. How good is that? Um, if someone is listening to this podcast and they would like to – look into this a bit further about how to join, uh, how would they go about that? My always my first recommendation is find out everything that we have on the internet. So yeah. the MFB website, but then mm-hmm. there's also the firefighter .vic.gov.au, which yep. is our recruitment um, landing page. There's a whole heap of information there and a whole heap of supports about, you know, what the PAT test in, entails, what the processes are. And we do a registration online when we open for recruitment. So, mm-hmm. you know, to be following our social media so you know when that's going to open. Um, and, of course, 
come and visit us at the station. Mm-hmm. You know, stations are community places and the people in the community who want to know more about what we yeah. do are welcome to knock on the door and come and say hi. Including Fridays you do the... Yeah, the Friday display at yeah. Eastern Hill Fire Station at Albert Street in yeah. East Melbourne um, at 10.30 on Fridays where it's... An, and I always recommend it to potential recruits. Come and have a chat to somebody who's mm. just been in the job for a short time. I'm, I'm probably a bit long in the tooth for talking about recruitment now. <laughs> But, you know, there are people who are level one who know exactly what's what's entailed. Mm. And definitely that's part of the research is really coming and seeing what we do and understanding the role because if you walk in thinking that it's just what you see in backdraft, you're going to be disappointed <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. probably not the right person for the job. Yeah. So, yeah. Wasn't many bin fires in backdraft, was there? No, there no. weren't. No, no. People getting in the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, yeah, thanks very much. I think the uh, WAFA, yep. WAFA and the MFB, I think they're in good hands. And I, I hope that uh, the numbers of female improve. I think they will. I've really got a good feeling that yeah, it's, uh, it's on and the way I out. I hope we see more diversity in, you know, in its strengths because diversity yep. has real strength. I, yep. I look forward to seeing more of that in all the fire services. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much for taking it easy with me today. Thank you. No worries. Hey, thanks for listening. Uh, If you'd like to know more about the Metropolitan Fire Brigade or MFB, head to mfb.vic.gov.au or for careers in firefighting, head to firefighter.vic.gov.au. If you'd like to know more about Women and Firefighting Australasia, head to www.wafa, so it's wafa.asn.au. Uh, Here's also a little message from the MFB they'd like me to read to you just for a bit of a heads up before winter. Uh, So it's winter is coming. Is your home fire ready? Uh, Take a few simple steps to minimize the risk of fire at home. Make sure your smoke alarms are in good working order. Know your fire escape plan and practice it regularly. Never leave cooking unattended and ensure your electrical appliances are serviced regularly. Um, that's it from the MFB. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. Uh, you can obviously tell them to subscribe on iTunes. If they don't have iTunes, send them to my website, danielconnell.com.au. There's a podcast section there where they can listen to this one, obviously, and others. Uh, this is number 17, so there's plenty more there to listen to. Uh, also, you can follow me on social media, at danielconnell3 on Twitter, or danielconnellcomedy on Instagram. And if you're ever on Facebook, jump on Daniel Connell Comedy. It's my Facebook page, always putting things up there. And while you're on my website, if you do go on there, you can check out the gigs section there. It's for all upcoming live stand-up shows. Uh, But that is it. Thanks very much for listening and take it easy.